Welcome to a new episode of our LTSB Leaders, Leader Talk podcast series. My name is Rosanna Vasila, Digital User Experience Apprentice at NatWest Group. This series is part of our LTSB's Leadership Initiative. In today's episode, we'll be having a conversation with one of our female leaders who will be telling us more about herself, her career, and uh, women in leadership. So today I'm here with the wonderful Kay Holsworth a volunteer at the Association of Royal Navy Officers and a Chartered Fellow of the Chartered Management Institute. Kay, thank you for joining me today and welcome. Thank you very much, Rosanna. It's lovely to meet you. Thank you. Same. Uh, so Kay, before diving into the questions, it will be really nice if you could tell us something about yourself that we cannot learn from your CV or from your LinkedIn profile. Uh, okay, uh, so one of the things uh, that most people don't know by looking at me even is that I live with a long-term chronic illness. Um, I have something called myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is quite a mouthful. Um, it's commonly known as ME, or some people call it CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, in the past, it was known as yuppie flu, all sorts of things. Uh, basically, it means my body doesn't produce energy in the same way as everybody else. Um, and from that, I get a lot of pain, a lot of muscle pain and a lot of fatigue. Um, I also have scotopic sensitivity, which means um, I struggle with reading black text on white paper. So it's kind of a form of dyslexia. Um, the words move around on the page and vibrate a little bit. So that can be quite exhausting. Um, and then in 2018, if that wasn't all enough, I was diagnosed with depression. Uh, so I actively live and work with a mental health condition. Um, uh, and that was a big shock. Uh, I manage it through medication now and I've got really good mental health support. Um, but there's still a big stigma about mental health. And I think that at some point needs to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's really um, great to hear how well you've, you've coped and, and managed to overcome these difficulties. And of course, this shows how, how resilient you are. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think you have to be resilient and uh, mm -hmm. adapting to change. I think that's uh, one of the concepts of re resilience that people don't get. They think it just means you have to keep persevering. And actually, resilience is about finding ways to deal with a situation and adapting mm -hmm. to change. And if that means for me with my condition, it means I'm better working from home, then that's a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, Kay, um, now if you could tell us uh, why you've decided to join the Royal Navy and why you decided to enter a career in medical field. Uh, yeah, so my mother always wanted me to be a doctor. Um, she was absolutely desperate. She pressed me really hard as a teenager to study hard at school and achieve. Um, but I didn't want to go to university. Um, she'd also done a lot of, got me into a lot of work experience and I saw how hard doctors worked and I thought you know what there must be a better way than this <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> um, I, I wanted a job that paid me as well as giving me the opportunity to learn and do something a little bit different mm -hmm. um, and that opportunity the Navy you know has always been good at that I think the nursing side chose me rather than the other way around um, my mum was a nurse so I understood that job uh, I was told at the careers office I was overqualified to be a medic um, and this was back in the early 90s so they recommended that I apply as a student nurse um, 
we were only just sending women to sea in the Navy. So I think for the careers office, that was their standard response for females who, who maybe had got a little bit more um, was to go into nursing. Um, maybe nowadays I'd probably be offered a, a, an engineering, you know, officer cadetship or something like that. But in those days, it was it, it was the right thing for me. Oh, wow. That's that's amazing. And, and, and that's amazing to hear, because especially because not only have you joined the medical uh, field like your mom and, and, and you've made your mom happy <laughs> and uh, the fact that you've excelled in that field as well and you've you've made a successful leader in your field. So that's that's absolutely great to hear. Uh, OK, so. Um, so now it would be really interesting if you could um, walk us through your your career path in, in the Royal Navy and, and tell us more about your role. Certainly. So um, I joined the Navy at 19 as a student nurse. Um, I'd got GCSEs and I'd got uh, I had got A levels, but the grades weren't particularly good. Uh, so we won't mention those. Uh, and I spent three years in training at the Royal Naval Hospital Hasler in Gosport. Um, and we did a university course at the same time at the University of Portsmouth. So we came out with a diploma in higher education in, in those days. Um, that was in 95. I then went to work at the Ministry of Defence Hospital Unit at Derriford Hospital in Plymouth. And I worked in orthopaedic trauma and then specialised in cardiac care. Um, I got my degree at the University of Plymouth while I was down there. Uh, I was also being promoted in the Navy at the same time. Um, so they promote you not necessarily on your professional and academic qualifications, but on your leadership and management skills. Mm -hmm. um, I went from Plymouth to go and work in Aldershot at the Defence Medical Services Training Centre. I got experience there in education, training, all of that kind of thing for about 18 months. And I was spotted while I was there by uh, a a gentleman called Commodore Frank Reed, who was our head of branch or head of branch for the medical services at the time. And he said, had I considered commissioning as an officer? And it, it wasn't anything really that I thought about in the past. Um, so he said, if I moved trades and became a medical services officer, he, you know, he thought I've got a good, good chance in the branch. So that was the first time I'd really come across that concept of promoting talent early in somebody's career because he'd obviously seen something in me I was still quite young I was still quite junior um, mm -hmm. and they saw something that I clearly didn't and, and, and we went from there so there was one other female commissioning at the time and we had one other female who came in from the reserves into the branch so we were the first three female officers into what had always been a male only a male only branch in the past um, after my time at Dartmouth, uh, where I did my officer training, my career then, since then, has been really varied. I think because I was a nurse before commissioning and not a medic, they kind of didn't know what to do with me. Mm -hmm. um, so I was put into jobs often that were maybe a little bit different. So I worked for the Defence Dental Service at one point, um, or they put me into jobs that were newly established uh, and they needed somebody really to, to find the way. So, yeah, a, a diverse range of jobs from medical operational planning, healthcare governance, training and management, medical capability development, um, disaster relief, all, all sorts of variety of, uh, of things that I've done. Um, I've also gained a lot of experience as a coach and a mentor. I got my mm -hmm. master's degree uh, when I went and did advanced staff course a couple of years ago. Um, so lots and lots of different elements that all kind of plug in to make me the person that I am now. Mm -hmm. um, Along the way, I've 
obviously had a, a chronic illness to live with. Um, I got married, I've had two children. My husband opted to stay at home and look after the children, which allowed me to have a career because then he did all the domestic stuff. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's been not been a walk in the park. ME for a long time was, was seen as a psychiatric condition, uh, not a biological one. So there's been a lot of stigma with that as well. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people just kind of said, um, you know, you've got to try a little bit harder, just push a little mm -hmm. bit more, just a little bit more perseverance and you'll be fine. Um, but thankfully now it's recognized for what it is and, and, and I get a lot more support. But um, yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting career. That's amazing. Brilliant. And, and, and that's just a, that's a great journey uh, full of, of, of a great set of diverse roles and experiences. So, yeah, that, that's definitely amazing to hear. Um, so, Kay, you've mentioned that you were one of the th first three female officers. Um, so, yeah, that that leads us nicely onto our next next question, which is, do you have a personal story about any obstacles or challenges uh, you may have experienced? being a woman in, in the Navy? So the, the Royal Navy is a really good equal opportunities employer. Um, now I, I could be sitting here saying that because that's the, what we're told to say, but actually they are, uh, and they've always been a good equal opportunities employer. Um, you can join with little or no qualifications. All roles are open to everybody now. Um, the only bar to taking a particular role might be getting security clearance, but we all have to go through that. Um, and as long as you meet the criteria for the job, um, you know, that's not to say that there's not been challenges along the way to have, mm. but I think when I first joined, women were only just going to see sort of en masse. You know, we'd had REN officers at sea during the Second World War, but they were only ever sort of singletons. And so it was a relatively new idea and we were still treated differently. You know, mm -hmm. this was the early 90s. There was less expectation of maybe what we could achieve. Um, there was open sexual harassment that actually the, the, the guys didn't really see it as that. But you'd walk into a, a mess space and there'd be page, page three of the sun stuck up on the wall and that was seen as the norm type thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's completely different now. It's a completely different experience. Um, I think there's still some unconscious bias there. I think there's mm -hmm. still a way that men get surprised when dealing with a strong leader who's a female. Mm -hmm. um, often we can be seen as loud or aggressive. Uh, and actually, we're, we're not behaving any differently to a man, but it's just behaviour that people don't expect from a woman. Um, so Absolutely, they do get, yeah. uh, they, you do get often to, to being told to, you know, just calm down, love. <laughs> and, and that kind of thing. but you get that in any organization where you know it, it, it's been male dominated for a long time um, mm -hmm. and these things are in the minority we've got some amazing networks in the navy um, and some really good strong allies and and think, things like gender advocates race advocates everything who, who are making a big difference and um, they are supporting people who don't fit that traditional norm of, of what you would see in you know, a, a white male hierarchical employer as the, the Navy used to be. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. And I also believe that the Royal Navy has been named as one of the uh, Britain's top employers of women in like 2019. Yeah, so that just shows. Yeah. That, yeah. And we also, we also do really well on the Stonewall Index as well um, mm -hmm. for, for supporting the LGBTQ community. So, yeah, they are. They're, they're absolutely an equal opportunities employer. It's just you have to make the most of the opportunities that are offered to you. 
lovely, absolutely. And, and this is really wonderful, obviously, um, how you've seen so many improvements and, and, and things moving in a positive way with regards to encouraging women in leadership and just, you know, closing that gender gap. So that, that's amazing. And also seeing how you were able to overcome these difficulties and remain resilient as well, work hard and not let um, things let you down and, and deter, deter you um, from your aims. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that is really inspiring and really great to hear. Uh, so yeah, if, if we move on to our next question, and that is, um, as a female leader, what, what has your experience been like and, and the positives and, and any obstacles that you've faced along the way and, and how you've overcome them as well? Yeah, so my experience has been generally good. Um, I think I've learned the most about myself and leadership in the past nine years. Um, I had a fantastic boss when I worked in Gibraltar, uh, a chap called John Clink, um, who instilled with me self-confidence that I hadn't really had before. Um, he really inspired me to have that faith in my own abilities and not hide my light under a bushel, as they say. Um, after Gibraltar, I got promoted very quickly. And I think there were a lot of people who thought they knew me, but didn't, who were surprised. Um, and that put a lot of pressure on me to perform to their expectations as opposed to just me getting on and being myself. Um, I learned in back in 2007 that uh, when I was I was asked to be an ally for our gender and sexual identity network compass. Uh, after that, I really started to understand what being your true self meant. Um, I had a great network from the mentor, a great mentor from the network who was really open and honest with me and, and has now become a really good friend. We go out dog walking when we're allowed. Um, mm -hmm. And that really helped me to be more honest about myself and about living with a long-term medical condition. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it allowed me to accept that instead of continually trying to push myself in my career, that was made, that was maybe being detrimental to my physical and mental health and maybe I should stop pushing quite so hard. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that's definitely the best way to be, you know, to build that self-confidence and, and bring your whole self to work and, and, and just have that positive impact on others as well is, is definitely key for people who become great leaders like yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, now if we go back in time to your 20 years old self, what <laughs> advice would you have for her? <laughs> uh, so two things. Uh, the first is don't try so hard to be like other people just be yourself mm -hmm. um, especially in a, in a male dominated environment you don't have to be like the boys um, and the second one is be kind as in always be kind that's the second one yeah. definitely absolutely um, you know of course we, we we were all different and I personally think that you know that difference is what makes life really interesting and you know we bring in different things and different thoughts different ways of working as well um, so yeah, that is that is absolutely true. Um, yeah. So now, having travelled through your fascinating journey, um, <laughs> if if you could tell us uh, what you've got planned after leaving the navy, and, and what are you looking forward to? What are your aspirations for the future as well? So yes, I I finally leave the navy on the twelfth of March this year, mm -hmm. uh, which also happens to be my forty eighth birthday. Um, I'm not retiring. Oh. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, I heard the phrase rewiring so I'm rewiring my career not retiring mm -hmm. um 
I was due to leave last year um, or I'd been medically discharged, but then with uh, COVID-19 and everything, the Navy looked at those that were in at-risk groups and they opted to keep some of us in to kind of give us that protective bubble of the services when we didn't know whether we'd be able to find houses or look for jobs and, uh, and all of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, for the past year, I've been working as a volunteer at the Association of Royal Navy Officers and 1st of February this year, I've just started there permanently. Um, mm-hmm. So now I'm working for the Association of Royal Navy Officers and the Royal Navy Officers Charity as their operations manager. So I'll be working mainly from home, which is good for me and my health, uh, a little bit from London when we're out, allowed to move around safely again. Um, and this role, it really allows me to use my time effectively, um, to pace uh, with my medical condition um, and, and just really um, manage life at a much better pace, really. Um, mm-hmm. But anybody who knows me well knows that that's probably not enough for me. Um, so I'm also a company director. Um, my husband's business that he runs from home uh, is called Explorer Coffees. We've also got EC clothing and something called the Exped stores, which kind of all fits in as three small businesses in a bundle. Um, and I've got lots of other sort of coaching and mentoring and speaking opportunities and all sorts of stuff, <laughs> executive boards and all sorts of things I'm adding on slowly. Um, but aspirations to stay as healthy as I can with my condition and be happy. That's it. Just stay healthy and happy. Nothing more, nothing less. Lovely, lovely. Um, I mean, it sounds like you've, you've got a great plan to look forward to. <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure you'll always remain a very valued member of the Royal Navy as well. So, um, yeah, uh, wishing you all the best of luck, of course. Uh, yeah. So, so we're almost um, running out of time and just wanted to squeeze um, a very important question. And that is, um, what is one of the best attribute that you think all leaders should have? Um, so I think leadership means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know what makes a bad leader. Um, but nothing completely defines a good leader. Um, so I think that one attribute that all leaders should have, I think the most important one is compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's got to be compassion for others, but also compassion for yourself. Because if you don't look after yourself, you can't lead others. Um, so that's, I would say that most important thing has got to be compassion. Absolutely. I love that. I love that, you know, of course, having that ability to to perceive things from other people's perspective and putting yourself in their shoes. And of course, taking care of yourself comes first um, is is, is vital to becoming a great leader. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So so that brings us to the end of our conversation. Kay, um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Um, Yeah, I I hope you as well. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed yourself and, and, and thank you very much for joining us. Um, I, I got lots of inspiring and interesting stories and I hope a lot of people listening do feel the same way. Um, thank you very much for sharing everything. Yeah, thanks. That's no, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.